right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Hello and welcome to Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host and co-author, Matthew Dressing. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And each new gardening year brings new trends in the world of gardening. And tonight we're joined by Katie Tammany of Monrovia to discuss Monrovia's design trends and new plants for 2023. What garden trends have you heard of or are excited about this year? Do you have questions for Katie about Monrovia's design trends? You can write us here at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com. And don't forget to stick around for the end of the show for our new Stepping Stone segment, where we'll answer more listener questions and give you timely tips for your garden and landscape. So just before Katie joins us on the show, a little bit about her. Katie's official title is Chief Marketing Officer, but she really is Monrovia's chief storyteller and trend spotter. Katie is more than 25 years of expertise in lifestyle and the leisures industries. Welcome to the show, Katie. Great to be here. Thank you. We're so excited yeah. that you were able to join us. So, Monrovia. Who is Monrovia? Can you tell us a little bit about Monrovia? Sure. Well, Monrovia Nursery Company uh, is almost 100 years old. We are um, the largest grower of ornamental landscaping plants in the United States. We grow shrubs, perennials, trees, edible plants, house plants. Um, you can completely, you know, landscape your garden. Mm -hmm. with what we <laughs> Amazing. So tonight we're going to talk about, uh, you know, timeless design trends and some amazing new plants for 2023. But how do you and Monrovia come up with your or research your design trends every year? Well, uh, it's a blend of tools that we use, actually. And I think um, a little bit is based on my background. I was a magazine editor for many years. I worked um, on a West Coast lifestyle magazine for about 20 years. And okay. so um, we would do a lot of forecasting, thinking about what gardeners were interested in by looking at, you know, what landscape designers were doing, what people were purchasing, um, what, uh, you know, trends from other industries, what what's going on in the food world, you know, because that influences what we want to grow or what people, where mm -hmm. people are traveling and what what's going on in people's homes, because that has an influence on what we want to grow as well. So we look at all of those influences. We also do a lot of uh, consumer research, um, some through surveys, but some of it looking at our own social media and you know what email subscribers are responding to. We have a, a large uh, community out there of Monrovia gardeners who tell us what they are interested in, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether that's specific plant colors that they're drawn to or um you know a style of gardening that they're interested in so it's a blend really 
um, of, of different tools that we use. Very cool. Very nice. Interesting. Going into kind of what your Monrovia gardeners are telling you, um, a lot of the trends that we're seeing is a big, strong revival of native plants and pollinators. Um, so are you finding that as well? Um, with we your are. Plant oh, definitely. definitely. We're seeing a strong influence, a strong trend in uh, pollinator plants. I think people are feeling more than ever that they want to do the right thing and nurture bees and butterflies and hummingbirds. And they really want help attracting um, those beneficials into their um, into their gardens and, and supporting the bees and doing whatever they can, you know, to help our, our bee population. And I think there's also um, an interest in climate adaptive plants, you know, thinking not just about natives, although certainly we're seeing an interest in that, but also just understanding, you know, right, right plant, right place, you know, I really want to make sure that I choose a plant that's going to survive <laughs> where I live. And, and I think increasingly people are aware of extreme weather and how, you know, how do I see my garden, you know, through you know, changing weather patterns too. So, mm -hmm. um, and then from a style standpoint, I think we're seeing uh, our uh, consumers really drawn to meadow style gardens, sort of a, a wilder look in the landscape. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah there's a, a trend that we've been watching for a while that we call the garden of abundance. And this is a trend that actually blends that interest in pollinators, you know, I was talking about mm -hmm. also a desire to grow our own food, to have more, you know, variety of edibles growing in the landscape and also not, not confining your edibles to a raised bed area, but really, you know, how could I, how could I use my edible plants throughout my landscape? And, and, you know, whether that's, you know, having a beautiful blueberry bush, you know, we, we grow, a blueberry that um, a beautiful ornamental shrub basically that also produces fruit um you know that looks fantastic in the fall gets wonderful fall color but then also provides that bounty of delicious fruit so i think that the garden of abundance trend is kind of like this garden of eden idea yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> so a great idea cool. yeah mm. and i think it's very um it's kind of freeing for people to think about you know, having their edibles in the landscape again and not just confining them to a, um, you know, limited area. You know, you think about fig trees and uh, citrus and um, all kinds of fruit trees that provide ornamental mm -hmm. interest too. So yeah, I think it helps um, gardeners know because they where the sun is, like where the best place for a raised garden is, doesn't necessarily mean that's where their sun is, right? So I think the ability to plant according to your light, because most vegetables, there are a few exceptions, but most most need full sun. So, you know, I think people used to like, they never would have put, you know, vegetables in the front yard. But if that's where your sun is, then, you know, then you can mix in. So I think it's great that people are, um, I think the the desire to grow food has overtaken the, 
what I caring what your neighbors think. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, and also that you can sneak in some things that your neighbors might not notice. Yeah. Kind of, you know, blend your front yard um, in different ways. And I think mm-hmm. the other great thing about some of these, what we call edible perennials, is that, you know, when you're growing vegetables, they're they're kind of like annuals. You know, you're thinking about them, you know, right, right for the summer. I just put in my tomatoes. Yeah. But it's, uh, with blueberries or strawberries or figs, you get this longer season uh, with them. So they're, they're looking good longer uh, mm-hmm. garden as well. So there's, there's just, and, and not just edible fruits, but I'm thinking about herbs, you know, how those yes. play a part too in the landscape, rosemary. Yep. We have a, a Tuscan blue rosemary. That's just a fantastic, oh, lovely. Yeah, it's a fantastic um, edging plant too, you know, besides mm-hmm producing this wonderful herb that you can use for cooking. So yes. Oh, let's see. I did take in the, in my off season, I did take a course designing with vegetables in the perennial bed. And one of the ideas, and I'm, I'm really hoping to be able to use it is, was, um, cause you know, along the garden edge can be tricky, right? Because you Absolutely. know, the, the walkway people step or, um, using uh, parsley, uh-huh. Which yeah. is also a, a great pollinator plant and it stays green. It grows well. It's pretty drought tolerant. Uh, you know, usually people have more parsley than they know what to do with. But instead of just thinking about it as an as an herb, but actually growing it as an edge around your garden. Um, you know, I know it doesn't flower necessarily, but, you know, it's a nice bright green and nice compact size. So it's like, oh, you know, the foliage is very pretty. Yeah. And I was like, I know. I was like, what a great, unexpected idea. I yeah, love me too. So I'm hoping to find clients that are, uh, and I have a few spots that I may even try it on. So uh, in my own garden. So, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, so to think, well, we can't really grow rosemary here very successfully um, <laughs> as much, but, uh, but for our other listeners who could grow it, you mean, then that would make a great edging plant as well. Oh, sure. And, you know, in that um, idea of the Garden of Abundance, just getting back to pollinators for a mm-hmm. moment, I think the the other um, element of this that we're seeing a lot of is interest in plants that have kind of a health benefit or health quality, you know, that's lavender, mm-hmm. uh, certainly fits into that um, just kind of aromatherapy idea, but also echinacea, which a lot of people recognize as being, you know, having great health benefits. We've seen a real increase a rise in interest in growing echinacea and we've got some new compact varieties so it doesn't get kind of all rangy um back to your parsley uh, comments you know echinacea that can be at the front of the bed or border um and you know echinacea growing in many many different colors i think there's so many options out there uh, now Mm -hmm. for gardeners and you know with that wonderful bloom you know sort of big round happy face that the that the bees can land on you know easily mm-hmm. um you know that that's that just makes a nice addition to to any garden and yeah. you know is quite zone friendly yes. um yeah so i think there's just so many options out there if you want to have this garden of eden idea it's really kind of unlimited um you know it, you don't have to have a big uh garden either to right. have that, that look right all right very true just before we jump into some of our design trends, which I'm sure everybody is excited to hear more about and the wonderful plants within them, we do have two listener questions uh, that kind of tie back into what we were talking about before. Beth has written in, hello, Joanne and Matthew, wondering where Monrovia is located. Thank you. 
Oh, that's a great question. We actually have four nurseries uh, and they're located in California in the kind of middle of the state, uh, in Oregon, uh, in uh, Connecticut, and in Georgia, in the Southeast. So we like to kind of describe it as we're in the four corners of the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. This allows us to grow and trial and test plants in all you know regions of the U.S., which um, is really helpful <laughs> for us um, determining yeah. if the plants is going to be successful, you know, to really sort of put it through the proving grounds mm-hmm. <laughs> in these four places. If if a plant can thrive in those four places, then we know we've got a real good one on our hands. Mm-hmm. And for definitely. the most part, you supply um, the plants to the growers, right? Like you do the testing and the promoting. Oh, and no, then actually, you... we do most of our growing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So when I talk about our locations, these are large nurseries, you know, okay, thousand mm-hmm. acres, 600 acres, different places. So we supply to independent garden centers. Uh, and to and to Lowe's, that's the one um, sort of mass um, oh, okay. a home center that we supply in the in the U.S. Okay. Very cool. And do you supply any Lowe's in Canada? Oh yeah, I think we do. I, I, yes, yes, I think we do. Okay, just thinking for our Canadian listeners. I know. Um, Chris has also written in. Does Monrovia sell plants and other products online? We do. We we kind of have a, a different kind of way at this, though, that right now you can order a plant online and then get it shipped to a garden center close to you. Oh, so that way shipping is free and we ship that plant that you ordered along with that garden center's regular order. So it arrives kind of in peak, you know, condition. You just go on our website, order your plant, and it actually arrives with your name on it, <laughs> a little tag. Wow. Um, that says, Joanne, Matthew, this is your hydrangea. And then the garden center calls you and you go and pick it up. Um, but that way it's, it's like, it's really well cared for, you know, it looks mm-hmm. great. It's, it doesn't been, you know, shipped in a box, you know, <laughs> sitting in the back of a UPS truck. Right. right. No, it's, you know, maybe it's been refrigerated in a truck. So it, 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 it looks really good when it arrives. And all you have oh, to- that's a great way to do it. Wow. Well, Chris, you're going to have to try and order something just to see how that works (laughs) for our listener, one of our uh, um, repeat listeners and writers, he writes in. So that's great. So Katie, what is on the design trends and must haves for 2023? Well, let's talk about what's old is new again. (laughs) That's kind kind of how I think of it. Uh, We are seeing a real interest in kind of timeless classic designs that I think with some of the new breeding and new plant choices out there, um, you can, you know, make them feel fresh, but they kind of have the the principles and structure of some classic design ideas that have been around with us, you know, in some cases for centuries. So I wanted to talk with you guys about what you're seeing as well, but one of the the interest that um, that we've been seeing rising, that's almost a, a counter to what I was talking about, about the wilding and the Garden of Eden idea, mm-hmm. is this, uh, this draw that we have to the garden design principles of like, you know, the Greeks and Romans who first brought us topiary. You know, I, I was kind of surprised to learn that uh, topiaris was the name, the original name for somebody who was a gardener. Oh. Right, because oh. uh, the gardens of, you know, ancient, you know, Rome, 
um, <clears throat> they tended to be, you know, these, you know, fancy places where they're really <laughs> well off, right? Um, and the and the rise of topiaries and shaping plants in interesting forms, that was the, the responsibility of the, the topiarist, uh, the gardener. Um, and I think some of the other classic things that we've that we are attracted to from that era are symmetry, you know, and, and thinking about how you arrive into a space, arrive into the garden, thinking about what that entry looks like. Um, kitchen gardens, keeping your herbs and, you know, fruits kind of right out the, the, the kitchen door. That was definitely something we got from mm -hmm. the ancient Romans and Greeks. Water features, you know, having sort of a central water element drawing you a uh, focal point into the into the center of the garden. Um, so some of those ideas about symmetry and balance we're definitely still attracted to today. And the way that that's translating today is something that we call architectural simplicity. So this trend, this trend is about using a lot of evergreen plants in your garden and then just complementing those evergreens with a little bit of color, typically white blooming, blue blooming um, flowering uh, plants. Okay. Keeping it really simple, very serene, using... Um, you know, boxwood, for instance, um, that's a very popular mm. part of the architectural simplicity uh, look. And we definitely, Monrovia grows a lot of different, you know, varieties of boxwood. One in particular that I think is uh, perfect for this look is winter gem boxwood. Okay. Ooh. Which um, it's among the hardiest of the small leaved boxwoods. Uh, and it can help you create a nice formal look in the garden. You know, if you use it in its globe form, we do um, a topiary style that's you know, kind of a big round ball. Mm -hmm. um, and a few of these in a row um, give your garden this kind of formal, you know, lovely anchor, I guess is what I would okay. call it. Um, and uh, complementing that might be something like the mint julep juniper, uh, which is very hardy. Um, and it can also work as a topiary, but it's, it's really beautiful kind of even in it's just natural arching form really nice borders or it's kind of you know the edge of a, an area um, and then you know complementing that with some blue or white flowering shrubs um, you know such as a hydrangea or even you know roses gives you a look that kind of is reminiscent of maybe an Italian you know style villa an English garden you know as people have traveled um extensively in Europe, they've come back and they want to kind of, you know, have that look in their backyard. Mm -hmm. So the, the architectural simplicity look, you see this a lot at hotels, you know, when you check in, <laughs> uh, you walk into that front entrance of that hotel and they've got the two stately topiaries on either side of the door. And you think, oh, I'd like to have that, you know, at my house, this is that look. And right. it's actually, you know, fairly easy to maintain because the the heart of this this garden design is evergreen. You know, it's just, you're just sort of being really choosy about your flowering shrubs and keeping your palette limited to, to white and blue kind of keeps it easy, easy to, yeah. easy to take care of and, and kind of serene. Yeah, uh, very yeah. serene, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, and you do find that I have had customers that wanted like a green and white garden, mm -hmm. you know, that just yeah. liked that, the idea of that simplicity. Yeah. And so I, I think that, that that's hearkening back 
you know, for me, it harkens back to the sort of timeless symmetry of these earlier mm-hmm. gardens and why those are still appealing. You know, it works that we're responding to something, you know, when we see that that simplicity and that symmetry. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, a trend that is definitely opposite to the um to the yes. abundance idea. That's right. <laughs> and, and both are both are so um appealing and attractive. Right. Um yeah. But I think another way that we're seeing what's old is new again is maybe stealing a little bit from the Victorians. You know, when the Victorians started, you know, developing lawns and hedges and um uh and and <clears throat> perennial borders and 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 that's kind of when in the Victorian area, that that's when breeding really started improving plants, you know, and people started thinking about, well, how can I get a variety to do this or that? Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really new here is kind of a return to nostalgic plants um, like lilacs and people are falling in love with roses again and they're interested in hydrangeas and rhododendrons and um you know, even ho- old-fashioned flowers like hollyhocks and, you know, those those sort of classic, maybe your grandmother grew them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, you have these great, great memories or great associations with that plant because maybe it was something your grandmother grew. And I think that's another trend that we really see um, taking taking off is this yeah. in, in that kind of nostalgic you know, because I think people want their gardens to obviously make them feel good, but help them relax um, uh, and and really have a meaning in their life. Yeah. Like just looking good, but mm-hmm. if they can, can plant something that reminds them of something that, you know. Yeah. I think of peonies, right? Peonies, another I mean, one. Yes. Yes. I mean, that is a common one where it's, peonies lasted generations like there's so many of my clients who have their grandmother's peony you know or a piece of their grandmother's peony and um so definitely that's that's a you know something that holds a lot of memory right Matt yeah I mean even this year in my first year college students I'm finding that trend very prevalent as well a lot of again like nostalgic you know oh my grandmother had it or oh, these are, I haven't seen these before. Where were they from? Or I've heard about these in older gardens or I've seen older gardens with these. So definitely, and even some of my clients, you know, returning to roses and mm-hmm. again, that huge nostalgia factor, but all of those like grandmother plants um, <laughs> returning to the foreground. Of, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, for of a while, it seemed like, yeah, people really weren't interested, for instance, in roses, you know, that was, mm-hmm. kind of, and, and, and frankly, I could see why, because a lot of mm-hmm. fragrance had gotten bred out of roses, you know, I don't know, you know, like 10 years ago, it was hard to find a new rose that really smelled amazing, yeah. like something that my grandmother had. Yes. But now I think uh, breeders have introduced some, you know, more fragrant varieties. We happen to have one oh, uh, du parfum, the, the series Ooh. is called. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds so, <laughs> so fresh. Yeah. So amazing smelling uh and, and it really is it's a beautiful like tightly budded um kind of cabbagey looking bloom and it's got this intense fragrance comes in four luscious colors um but roses in general i think are um they've figured out how to keep the disease resistance you know <laughs> that yeah. readers were looking for but bring back the fragrance um and so there's a lot of 
beautiful, wonderful choices of roses out there. Um, you know, not just ones that Monrovia grows, certainly, but yeah, because I think it's a it's a fantastic time to be a rose lover. Um, for oh, that's good. <laughs> wonderful. Good. So, is there anything else about the new Victorian trend? Yeah, I mean, I would say the the other. Um, you know, great thing besides uh, the breeding going on in roses is that another old fashioned uh, plant that's really getting a lot of interest from breeders and, and there's so many choices out there is the hydrangea, you know, the hydrangea macrophylla mm -hmm. or the hydrangea paniculata, lots of wonderful um, choices there that make that, that plant fit gardens today, not the big yes. Victorian estate, but, you know, we have a a series of line of hydrangea called Seaside Serenade. Um, and it comes in like nine different varieties in that collection, but they all stay nice and compact, like four feet tall. You know, they don't get, you don't right. get like six to eight feet, you know, yeah. leggy hydrangeas, uh, beautiful blooms, uh, really thick stems and thick uh, leaves because it was originally bred. This, the series was, the style was bred for the cut flower market, you know? Oh, so, okay. so that's why the stronger stems, the stronger leaves. And so these hydrangeas can, they won't, they won't sort of wilt in a storm, you know, they'll stand up. Okay. To, uh, weather. Like Are they ma macrophilias? Yes. They're macrophilias. Okay. Uh, they're rebloomers. Um, we have a beautiful one called Newport hydrangea, which in acidic soil just really retains this lovely, intense blue shade. Um, but then we have another one of my favorites for 2023. This is such a, a real modern twist on an old fashioned favorite. Uh, it's called Glacier Bay. And what's modern about it is it has these really dark black stems and white, Ooh. white blooms. Yeah, it doesn't even, at first doesn't even look like a hydrangea. It has these sort of star-like um, little caps in the bloom. It's just a stunning shrub. I mean, it's really eye-catching. Um, that's my favorite hydrangea. Ah. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at the, the Seaside Serenade series and you are right. Um, <laughs> like it's jet black, beautiful yes. steps. Ah. Party to like zone four, yes, so yeah. be like zone three in Canada. Wow, that's stunning! Yeah, very like lace cap, nice double yeah. quads, right? Very pretty. <laughs> really nice. And, and... I wonder what he was looking at, right? Maybe like <laughs> his, like, his expression. I'm like, so yeah, so you well, got the Google, yeah, yeah. And Fireside Island or Fire Island, Fire Island. I love that one too. It's got that's those little edges of intense kind of magenta. Yeah, that's that's a beauty, and that we've had that for a couple of years, and uh, that's a that's one of my favorites too. And I love that they just stay. You know, you plant it. You want it to get a little bit big, but you don't want it to take over. Um, right. These are these are what I would think of as tidier hydrangeas. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, they look good in containers too, right, Katie? Like those. I, I yeah, mean, you, you do need to put them in our climate here, and you need to put them in the ground to get them through winter. But you can definitely, um, really, instead of and spending all that money on annuals, exactly. that you're just gonna. You know, yeah, um, they, make, they make fantastic container plants, actually, mm -hmm. uh, especially that Fire Island. It's a real cutie. Yeah, I <laughs> oh, have to do some Monrovia ordering out. So, yeah, so hydrangeas, roses, uh, rhododendrons, even azaleas, I think, are kind of, you know, making really? 
Yeah, making a little bit of a comeback, you know, <laughs> which is another plant that I thought, yeah, oh, you know, it's kind of everyone's seen it, it's boring, but no, yeah, beautiful colors and rotos. And they, and... they do fill a gap, right? Because I think they, because of when they bloom. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of a gap. I, I swear that the rhododendron sales are connected to the masters. So because oh, the funny. masters was, was too early this year. So they, right. we couldn't go out and buy rhododendrons because the masters was like the beginning of April. But if, when, you know, when, when it's the end of the month, you know, cause everybody's like, what is, and you have to explain, like, it's not going to be eight feet tall. Like right. it is on, uh, on at the golf course right in, in augusta but you know you can buy them here you can grow them in your garden they're just going to be smaller you know so <laughs> and i i thought that this year too i thought oh no nobody's you know, like in the garden centers yet well the masters are going on so <laughs> i love that you mentioned that joanne because that is another way that trends start you know mm -hmm. what people are exposed to there you are watching a golf tournament of all things but you happen yeah. to know how beautiful the landscaping is and that you know just speaks to how our lives are so connected and into different things and that can influence what we want to plant in our our own gardens and, and we definitely are looking at that we grow a lot of rhododendron a lot of different kinds of rhododendron um one i really love is um pjm we've been growing that for a, a very long time it can take the heat as well as cold it's a pretty versatile roadie um, and it's got this really pretty lavender purple um, bloom on it. Um, and that's, I think, the color and the tolerance it has for, you know, kind of a wider, um, wider zones. Yes. Yeah. A very popular yeah. uh, roadie for sure. Yeah. 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 That's a classic one up here in southern uh, Ontario as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tried and true in our area, for sure. We grow yeah. a lot of it in Connecticut. Um, and one of the um, things that really separates Monrovia out as a grower is kind of the hand craftsmanship that we take to our plants. So we do, you know, we're doing a lot of pinching back on the roadie to get as many kind of, you know, blooms going before, you know, we're ready to uh, ship it. So oh. that's, that's really, it's it's hand hand pinched. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of work though. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is, but it's something we, we pride ourselves on. Mm -hmm. I was going to say the show would definitely be worth it. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so, as we reach the bottom of the hour, sorry, yeah. Katie, I'm going to no, no, go <laughs> do our little, thank you for joining us, everybody here on reality radio One One. I'm Matthew dressing here with my co-host and co-author Joanne Shaw and you are listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you and from our research and from the wonderful guests that join us here on the show, such as Katie uh, Timoni. Tammany, I'm going to say your Tammany. <laughs> My apologies, Katie from Monrovia. As we talk all about uh, timeless design trends and must-have plants for 2023. So don't forget, you can spend some more time with us down the garden path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and don't forget YouTube now as well. At Down the Garden Path Podcast is our handle there. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast providers. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, 
share, and leave us a comment. We love hearing from all of our listeners, whether you're listening live or on the podcast. You can always write us here at Down the Garden Path Podcast at hotmail.com. So, Katie, we're talking about design trends. I think I cut you off. I don't know if you're going to the next design trend or you were going to jump into more plants. Um, a little bit of both, actually. All right. <laughs> I was going to talk about another of those, you know, timeless trends that I think is making its way uh, back. And that is um, kind of the asymmetry, if you will, of ancient Japanese gardens and the real reverence for Ooh. rocks and water and the fragility of the landscape and the real kind of celebration of that. Um, you know, I think about the Japanese maple, for instance, and how, you know, yes. Just, beautiful and graceful that that plant is um, in the garden. And um, and that, that's become such a, a symbol of a certain style of garden. But it, you know, your whole garden doesn't have to have this, you know, ancient Japanese aesthetic. But I think it's really about choosing a few key statement plants in the garden and then really really showing them off, really drawing attention to them. Um, so again, the Japanese maple is one of them. And, and we have a, a very hardy one, Velvet Viking Japanese maple. It's kind of a low spreading uh, kind. It was discovered in Minnesota by a landscape designer, actually, oh. who, um, who introduced it to us. And then we um, started growing it widely. Um, but that's also hardy, you know, to zone four, which is unusual in a Japanese maple. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's been a, a fantastic um, choice for us to give, you know, gardeners in the, the upper north uh, region of the U.S. Mm -hmm. There's some other uh, plants, though, that have wonderful trees and shrubs that have wonderful forms that I think people are really starting to, you know, really think about form and texture a bit more in their garden. So like a, the weeping blue atlas cedar, uh, which is oh, this yeah. dramatic you know, it can get 15 feet tall and wide, and it has this wonderful sort of waterfall effect uh, in the garden. Really, you know, beautiful. You'd mentioned the the Ito peony. You know, that works both mm -hmm. in the nostalgia sense, but also um, peonies. You know, in the sort of ancient Japanese, you know, garden. Um, that being another plant that sometimes you just you, you plant this peony just 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 one even for that. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for those special blooms. Um, ferns, you know, are another good good choice in this uh, design aesthetic. And I think I've got, you know. Um, yeah, your background. Yeah, I've got a, a fern that I use in all of my, my meeting backgrounds. Um, but we're growing a really diverse selection of ferns that some of which don't even really look like traditional ferns. So I would, Ooh. I would really also suggest to your listeners, like if you think, you know, ferns, take another look because there's a lot of new discoveries there. You know, one that I really love is um, we have the series called the Jurassic series. So they're all oh, okay. Like the movie Jurassic. Yeah. Uh, so we have the Stegosaurus holly fern and it's got these wider sort of leaflets. It looks great in a woodland, you know, obviously shade garden, mm -hmm. but it's just really lush and not, it doesn't, you know, at first you're not sure it's a fern. Um, so okay. that's what I mean by take another look at ferns. If you think you, you know them, I'm not just talking mm -hmm. about the Boston fern, you know, there's a lot of choices out there, I guess I would say. 
There was, there is. And I think the one thing I love about the Japanese aesthetic is that it is about texture and it is about, is so much more, uh, less about the flowers, you know, yes. like, yes, the, the peonies lovely, but you know, it is about the texture, the, the foliage colors and, and shapes and, and uh, like the Japanese maples, even you can get three different Japanese maples that yes. all look don't look necessarily look like you know Japanese well they do look like Japanese maples but they're different you know right. in the yeah. sense that the you know uh, the different leaf textures and the different shape of you know you've got the waterfall and and different things so yeah so I I just love that I think that is um a great trend so I'm happy to hear that uh, yeah. well you, know. you really that's such a great point about foliage being um you know so important in this in this style uh I think that the more you begin to garden, the more experience you have in gardening, you start to really get interested in foliage. You know, maybe it yes. starts with, with flowers and blooms and sort of the, that that's wonderful eye-popping color. Mm -hmm. but, but the longer you spend gardening, the more you really get interested in, in foliage and yeah. all the variety out there. Yeah, that and ever like, and that I think also leads people to evergreens because, you know, you get, I have had several people over my years of designing saying no evergreens, they don't want any evergreens, but you know, and I like can't that have a hard time designing a garden without evergreens, but I think that sale goes because no, and you know, people think of cedars when they think of right evergreens, but there's so, if you look beyond that, there's so much more interesting evergreens just like with the ferns and the foliage you know it is more about um so yeah I guess you can see I'm getting excited about foliage <laughs> but yeah I mean it you know uh so it's great well that is the joy one of the joys of being a designer right is that you can introduce and you know uh, new things and help your clients see outside the box a little Absolutely. bit so I think yeah there's always something new you know to discover even like I was talking about even in, in something that maybe you've disregarded or thought oh I would never like that you know look again mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in, in thinking about, I guess, other must-haves for the garden for 2023, um, this, you know, I, I think this plant could go in um, many of these trends, actually. Um, but, you know, I know people, sometimes people have a love-hate relationship with agapanthus, <laughs> you oh. know. <laughs> but we have a new one that is really different because it's very compact. It's called um, Bridal Veil Agapanthus. Okay. And um, it stays really short, like 12 inches, you know, tall max. And then it just, and it's covered with white, white blooms, which is lovely. And it was actually a mistake <laughs> that turned out to be uh, a real find. You know, we, we, we're working with a breeder on a kind of agapanthus that was kind of a mix of, you know, white and purple blooms and, you know, sort of regular size agapanthus. And there was this one in the mix that was kind of, you know, the, you know, not, not, not supposed to be there. It was, it was a reject, but we fell in love with it. It was gorgeous. So we, we, you know, uh, took, you know, a tissue cutting of it and replicated it and created a, a lot of, uh, a lot more, you know, of these little mini beautiful bridal veil agapanthus. Uh, it's just gorgeous. Um, so if you if you've rejected agapanthus in the past, <laughs> I would say there's reason to take 
take another look. Um, Okay. And it's a good pollinator as well. It is. It is. Yes. Agapanthus is a very good pollinator. So it's a way to feed that trend as as well. That's right. And it'll stay nice and low. So you can have it at the edge of your your bed. Mm -hmm. Um, Beautiful. And then another plant that actually, you know, for many of your listeners, they would grow this probably more as an annual, but oh, it's so striking, is uh, bougainvillea. Burgundy queen, bougainvillea. Now, this is another plant that was discovered at one of our nurseries in Georgia. Uh, One of our craftsmen there happened to notice that a sport of the Barbara Karst bougainvillea, which is a very popular sort of bright uh, pink, pink, pinky purple bougainvillea. um, This sport actually had very different foliage that starts kind of burgundy itself before it turns, you know, green. So the new growth is really kind of burgundy. And the flower bracts are also burgundy. So it kind of matches the foliage. It's really stunning, really eye-catching. Um, so we started growing that in large numbers in the last couple of years now. And it's become a, a very different kind of yeah. for people to consider. Oh, that's very nice. Beautiful. I'm sorry, that one was Burgundy Queen? Burgundy Queen, yeah. Queen. Okay. Beautiful. Queen Bougainvillea. Yes. I just got back from a trip to Spain. So, oh, you know, it's, it's, there. <laughs> I know that's the thing. It's like, you, you can't even appreciate it here when you see it there as growing, like their cedar, like our cedar hedges, they're growing hedges and hedges of it. It's uh, quite something, but it has always been, uh, I did think, did see some white, but for the most part, it is the pink. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely like the rhododendron that you were talking about, the masters. It's one of those plants that when people <laughs> are traveling, they see it and like, oh, you know, how could I, how could I yes. have that? Can I have that in my yes. backyard? Yeah. And you can grow a lot of our bougainvillea um, in pots. Um, we have a lot of, I think, really uh, great choices. If you want to get, here's another uh, trend I, I want to mention, this idea of upscale relaxation in your backyard. You know, when everybody mm-hmm. was anchored to home and couldn't travel, we really started getting into spending a lot on our backyards, right? Not mm-hmm. just the plants, but upgrading our furniture, adding a fire pit, maybe a pizza oven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that part of that, people want to have this feeling of being on vacation in their backyard. You know, plants that have a tropical might have a tropical look like hibiscus, and you can grow that in a container and then, you know, move it in- indoors if you're in a colder climate. Right. Or even trying some house plants out outside, you know, or, you know, the Schefflera's, the, um, you know, a ficus, you know, moving it out on the patio in the, in the summertime to kind of create this languid spa kind of feeling. Yes. (laughs) And I think we still, there's, even though we're all, you know, moving around again and we're, we're traveling again, um, as we weren't, you know, for a couple of years during the, the core of the pandemic, I think that people are now, still really wanting that feel in their backyards Um, Mm -hmm. interested in creating that sort of um, feel of almost being on you know vacation yeah yeah Yeah. and I think sometimes people like the challenge of trying to keep something alive like that whole like enjoying (laughs) it all summer and then I'm gonna bring it out and let's see if I can next (laughs) year you know (laughs) definitely definitely I I think gardeners 
uh, in those, you know, uh, tougher conditions. Yeah. Really, what you said, it just reminds me of a lot of, you know, friends and people I correspond with that they really do look at it as kind of a, a quest, you know, can I keep this, yes. <laughs> this plant going and for how long? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Can I make it? Uh, yeah, it is. It becomes. And yeah, and when I look at my like trials and you know, <laughs> my sweet potato vines are like not happening. And, <laughs> and I have like a big, huge thing of coleus. It, like, I, yeah, you know, so, you know, you try and then and then it doesn't happen kind of thing. So um, that's what's fun yeah. about gardening, right? Is that's that right. It's just you're on this constant. Sort yeah. Of yeah. Constant journey. Yeah. yeah. So I have one question for you and that I've seen coming up a lot in like the Facebook groups and stuff. And, and that's just, I think like all, I love all the trends, but there's, it's almost like we're becoming, it's almost becoming controversial now because of the whole pollinator movement and the native plant movement. Yeah. You know, there's a really, um, you know, some people that are kind of, you know, hardcore, like, well, then we shouldn't be planting any ornamentals. We should only right. be planting natives. Uh -huh. And I'm certainly not on that. You know, like, I think you, we need to have a mix. I think native ours are, are just as important for pollinators. Um, you know, how as a grower, like, how are you kind of dealing with that type of, I don't want to say controversy, but just sure, discussions. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, so first, you know, we love natives and we want to encourage mm -hmm. people to plant natives for all those, all the reasons we know. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the number one thing we want to encourage people to think about is planting diversity, plant, mm. plant a diversity of plants that is really going to help, um, our, you know, system. Don't plant anything invasive. Yes. I think that there's a lot of yearning to do the right thing by the environment, by, you know, um, I, I want to be a good gardener that's part of a bigger world, you know, and I want to mm. take care of um, the earth. Um, but I also think sometimes people say native when they might mean other things. <laughs> mm. So it's a little bit when when somebody says they are interested in natives, I always ask, um, when you say native, what do you mean? Mm. Because um, because sometimes they could be talking about, I want to grow something that's really native right around where I live, you know, because mm -hmm. I think it will um, survive better in my garden. It'll be good for the you know, local ecosystem. That's great. I think sometimes people say native when they mean climate appropriate. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I want to plant something that's drought tolerant, that can take the heat. Um, because the other thing about native is when people say native, I always ask, how native do you mean? <laughs> you know, there's an interesting California natives, but California, for instance, is sprawling, huge state. And what's native in Southern California and San Diego might not actually be better in Northern California than a native are, a cultivar. Right. So it, it matters when you say native, what, what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that should be part of the debate too. We grow um, 400 North American natives um, and you know, we also grow lots of other, you know, um, cultivars and we also grow, mm -hmm. uh, plants that, you know, for instance, the fern I was talking about, um, discovered by Dan Hinckley in China who brought it here through, you know, appropriate means, you know, yeah. USDA and, and brought the seeds here for us to develop. And some people hear that and they think, oh, you know, no, that that's terrible. That would be invasive, confusing, a plant that's from somewhere else as meaning invasive. And uh, that's not what invasive means. So I think right. when we, 
have these conversations, um, it's just always good to ask people questions, you know, mm-hmm. back to when you say native, uh, wh- what do you mean? What are you, what are you wanting to accomplish in your garden? Because the, the other thing I would say about planting all natives is that that can be a really difficult to maintain garden mm-hmm. because yeah. natives, natives are going to, you know, thrive <laughs> wildly, get wildly, um, get, get wild. Natives are going to yeah. get, get a little wild in your garden. So it may take more maintenance to plant yeah. a native garden than you have time for. And then yeah. I don't, I don't want to see people rip all that out <laughs> yeah, um, because they're frustrated. So anyway, I would say that we think about diversity and we really yeah, want Yeah. That is a good way to answer it. That diversity is important. And I don't think planting um, non-natives is, I mean, certainly invasives is, but I don't yeah. think it's it's a negative to plant um, non-natives. Like I think we still need to have beautiful landscapes Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I, you know, I think that's where people just really need to, you know, realize that we can do both. You can be successful at both. Exactly. And, uh, and also natives, they eventually will take over and they will eventually do well, but like the first year, yeah, maybe even the second year, sure, like they sure. really don't <laughs> look like, you know, right. and so I think then that would really set people up to be discouraged. So yes. I think having things that automatically look good, like, you know, uh-huh. peonies and hydrangeas and things, sure. um, you know, help people be successful yeah. too, right? I think that's true. I think that, I think that's why it's important to have a mix. All right. Looks like we have a couple more questions. Just as we reach the end of our time, yeah, just a few listener questions and comments. Tom wrote in and just wanted to confirm um, that Monrovia does ship to Canada for other independent garden centers. And we do. You can yes. order, yeah. et cetera. Yes, we do. And to clarify, and you can do that online. And Yes. 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 Okay. Perfect. Uh, you have to enter your zip code. Sorry, you have to enter your zip code to see what is available to you. Right. We we have to do the shipping to you via garden centers that we're shipping to, (laughs) for instance. So if we're if we're if garden centers in your area aren't, you know, getting orders from Monrovia, like they've stopped for the season, then Mm -hmm. we won't be shipping. So it's it's dependent on your zip code and timing. Right. I must say your um, your um, website's beautiful, too. So our listeners can, you know, my my plant finder. I mean, it's very yeah. user friendly. It's a you great know? way to filter out. I'm looking for something that is full sun, a great screening plant. You can find something. We grow 4,000 varieties. So it's good to have that search tool there. The other thing that's on our site um, is what we call the design guides. You know, you can get some of the um, some of the design inspiration, the trends that I was talking about. You can uh, look under the Be Inspired section of our website. And there's okay. a, on the top, it says planning guides. And you can click on planning guides and you can see a library of, of different, you know, downloadable landscape um, designs oh, that you can like anywhere from four to eight plants. And you can sub in, you know, maybe a variety that um, uh, or plant that might grow better where you live, but you mm-hmm. get an idea from the planting. Yeah. No, that is a great, that is a great tool. And I like that you've kept it manageable, like 10 stunning palettes for spring and summer. I mean, I love that. Um yeah, that's great. Seven, seven must-have plant types for a beautiful garden design. Woo. 
<laughs> yeah, this is like, you know, like time, you know, when you're procrastinating, you're really working on a design, but no, you're really like doing this kind of thing, right? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Catherine's also written in, hello, Joanne and Matt, a very interesting radio show tonight. Uh, does Monrovia do webinars for education? Thank we you. do. Yes, we ha- have a monthly um, uh, webinar series. The next one is coming up May 10th. We're talking about extending your outdoor living space. And um, we usually have myself and a, a plant uh, craftsman from Monrovia, somebody that's an expert more than I am <laughs> in our plants, and uh, usually a special guest. And we do that on, on a monthly basis. And if you subscribe to our email, uh, you get an invitation to the webinar. So. Excellent. Okay. <gasps> Yeah, I have another question too about like growing for like some new plants, like let's say for that you want to start growing next year or new developing things. Like how do you see these trends influencing that or those plants influencing the next trends? I guess it's all kind of tied together, right? You can tell this stuff gets me really excited. I know, I love it. Well, (laughs) both both things are true. (laughs) I I do think the trends that, that I've talked about those aren't like, oh, you know, fads, color of the year or things like that. They'll be around for a while. I see right. them as kind of macro trends, if you will. Um, and plants, you know, what people were purchasing helped us kind of define those. But I also think that the more that we see people gravitating toward a particular trend, then the more we'll look for plants that can help you ah. um, achieve that. You know, I think the garden of abundance trend and this idea, this interest in natives has us very interested. You know, we're mm-hmm. watching that and seeing how can we help? How can we help gardeners? Yeah. You know, yeah. what what plants can we help bring to them? Yeah, I think that's such a per- perfect term for it, too, is garden of abundance. So I think that's really sums it up. I really do. <laughs> so that is exciting. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. This has been so great to share this with us and our listeners. This has been a lot of fun for me. Thank you both for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. We'll have to have you come back again and talk wild and wonderful plants and trends or anything else that excites you as well. I would love, to. I would love that. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us and we will uh, catch up with you, I'm sure, in the very near future. Sounds good. Happy okay. day, everyone. Bye. Bye. And so, Matt, did you have some ideas for our stepping stones uh, segment? For our stepping stone segments, you know what? My mind is just racing with plants after Katie's inspiring (laughs) uh, talk about all of her plants. Um, Nothing jumps to mind uh, overly. I I think maybe just what we were talking about last week, um, you know, watch for your garden centers, what things are coming out. We've had that kind of the tease. It's very cool, but a lot of plants are still arriving. Um, so, you know, do some of your research, show up at your local garden center. Uh, don't forget your veggies are going to hit first uh, mm. before, you know, the main peak. So you might be looking at them for your May 2-4 or your last frost date, but we're often going to see a lot of them ahead of time. But um, if you're listening, if you were listening tonight, I, I you know, I hope Katie's talk has inspired you to look at your own garden and, you know, start designing or reach out to someone like uh, me and Joanne, who are landscape designers, who are still designing and um, 
the season's getting busy very, very quickly. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you're looking for some help, reach out. Uh, but there's still lots to do and lots of exciting things. Did you have one that jumped to mind specifically? Well, I, we kind of talked about it, but it last last week. But I do want to mention about the patients again. That the weather has been cool, yeah. and we've had a lot of rain, and um, so people are looking for certain plants, and they're finding that they're thinking they're never going to get them. That they're asking, you know, oh, do you have this plant in your garden center? Because mine doesn't have it. Well, it's still early. You know, the shipments are coming. Um, so yeah, so I just want to remind everybody, patients as far as plants coming in, as well as patients with their own garden. Um, I did, uh, um, I was on the go train. I was at the Jays game on Sunday. And so I, you know, passing, you know, a lot of nature, like even if you look out into the woods and stuff, everything's behind, you know? So I think you, it's not just your garden, you know, look around you, look at the trees budding when you're driving around and, and even in natural areas, you can see that things are a little bit behind. Um, so that's your cue that, you know, you're not, nothing's wrong with your garden. You know, there's a lot of people posting pictures of like, is my plant dead? I don't see any leaf buds. It's still early. You know, I think we get all so excited and so looking forward to it, especially I think once the calendar goes to May, right? We can put up with a bit of it in April, but once we flip that calendar to May, we just want our garden to be going. And uh, sometimes mother nature has, has uh, their, her own mind, right? So I just want everybody to, to patience, patience with their lawns, you know, everything will green up when it's supposed to. Um, and I, I think, I kind of think it's nice to actually have a spring for a change. I think last several years, we've gone right from winter coats to tank tops. Like we haven't needed our spring jackets, nothing, you know? So I think let's just embrace it and, uh, and uh, enjoy. So uh, everybody, you know, it'll be hot and we'll be upset about our dormant lawns and our, our how much we have to water everything <laughs> before we know it. So I think in the meantime, everybody enjoy. <laughs> I agree. Take your time. Enjoy. That was one of the first things I thought of when I flipped my calendar too is it's May. It's, oh, it's going to go so quickly. Like, yeah, just stop and enjoy and relax and take that extra moment for sure. That's right. That's right. So take your time. Be patient. Everything, all good things in, in good time, I guess. That's right. Say, or That's something right. like that. Yeah. And a up, reminder, we're on, uh, you're going to mention about YouTube. I'll let you talk. I'll let you talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, as I was going to say, as we wrap up the show, don't forget all of our podcast past episodes. If you're looking for more inspiration or on all of your favorite podcast providers, but also don't forget we're now on YouTube. So you can search at down the garden path podcast on YouTube and find lots of past shows and listen there. Yeah, perhaps you like YouTube versus podcasts. Maybe that's where you like to in take in your information. I was going to use a better word, but anyways, join us on YouTube. Don't forget to tune in next week as well. We have another wonderful guest uh, joining us here. We're going to talk her new book, Kathy Gent's new book, Ground Cover Revolution. So it's all about mixing and using wonderful ground covers in our gardens and how to do that in a beautiful way. So we hope you will all join us. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube. Follow us on your favorite podcast provider and tune in next week as we are joined by another wonderful guest to talk all about ground covers. Until then, thank you for tuning in live here on Reality Radio 101 and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path. 
with your host, Joanne Shaw, and Matthew Dressing, right here on Reality Radio 101.